So for the next two weeks, we're going to be taking a look at this book of Jude. Um, and in other news, uh, there's a book of the Bible named Jude. Uh, it's a book of the Bible that uh, very few people know much of anything about, and I would count myself among that group until I started researching for this. Uh, have either of you two, did, do you know much about Jude? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So not even the pastors know anything about Jude. So um, I'm in that group. Uh, well, hopefully not anymore. But, uh, and so there's a couple of reasons not many people know about it. So first of all, it's super short. We read like 80% of it today. Um, so to at least some degree, we associate length with importance. Because, I mean, gosh darn it, if Jude only had 25 verses worth of stuff to write, then it can't be that important, right? Because he would have had a lot more to say if it were that important. But the second reason that uh, nobody knows anything about it is that it is confusing as all get out. Uh, and so when our Tuesday Bible study um, was reading through this book, after our initial read-through, the general consensus was, I have no clue what's going on. Uh, it, it's hard to pick up what exactly the conflict is in this book of Jude that Jude's addressing, uh, since it never really says all that clearly what exactly is going on. And then on top of that, we have tons of super obscure references that made plenty of sense to those first century Jews back in the day, and so Jude didn't need to explain them very much. Meaning that now, precisely because Jude didn't need to explain them very much, we don't know what incarnation they're talking about. Um, so his whole, and his whole argument rests on these super obscure references too. So that's not helpful at all. Uh, so this is a rough book. It's dense, and it's hard, frankly. Uh, but nonetheless, over these next two weeks, we are going to take on this challenge and work to tease out at least a little bit of meaning, uh, see what it might have to say to us about faithful living and being with others in community. We're going to be asking questions like, what is this book trying to say? What is it trying to do? And how might we make sense of it in our modern world? So let's dive in. In the earliest church, believe it or not, there was a guy named Jude who wrote a letter. I know, it's crazy, right? So now Jude is quite a common name back in that day, and they don't have last names back in the ancient world. So we have to try and figure out which Jude wrote this letter. Uh, but the most likely candidate is there was a certain Jude who had a famous brother. You may have heard of him by the name of Jesus. Um, so Jude is Jesus' brother. And so then, you know, Jesus died, and then undied, and then disappeared. And so then the church that was left behind, uh, so Jesus' family knew him decently well, you could say. And so they became the ones who were leading the Jerusalem church, which, of course, remember, the Jerusalem church was the mother church. And so it was the most important and influential church where all the apostles were. And so one of the most important people in charge of the most important church was Jude. And so, now as we saw this morning, the head honcho of the most important church is writing a letter to, some, to a church that has some issues, some significant issues. See, there's a group of folks which, let's just call them the others, uh, who have made their way into this community. They're folks who are clearly 
other, if you will, hence the name. They're not a part of our community. They come from outside, and they've, uh, they've come and embedded themselves within our congregation. And normally that wouldn't be too bad, right? Because we like getting people in pews. Uh, but there's some odd stuff happening on, on their side of things, in their beliefs, in their actions. See, so basically they thought that they had evolved past morality. So here's how it works, technically. So um, the first generation of Christians, everybody from Peter and John and Paul and Jude, everybody all thought that they were living at the end times, that, that any day the apocalypse would come. And so everybody had that frame of mind. And so when Jesus came, it was seen as the beginning of this end time. And so that means for most Christians, it then got super complicated. And they're like, you know, okay, so Jesus started the end times, but we haven't seen them yet. So they haven't come to pass yet, apparently. So I guess it's kind of already, but not yet. It was a paradoxical kind of position that they held. But some folks, such as our favorite friends, the others, took this a little bit... uh, too far for some other folks, for church leaders, because after all, that position, that's just confusing, let's be honest, right? So what some folks like the others thought was, no, we really are in the end times. It's not already but not yet. It's already, you just can't see it. And so these others, as we're calling them, think that because Jesus has come and kicked off the end times, they're all, invisibly, mind you, living in this glorified state, almost as uber-humans. And so, like, when God comes, we're all going to get these super bodies. And so, for them, God has come. And so, they're actually living in this world beyond mere humanity. And so, since they understand themselves to be beyond humanity... They understood themselves to be beyond morality. And so they're like, look, having to choose between right and wrong, that's so passe. I mean, I've evolved beyond that point. I'm I'm at oneness with God. And so, you know, I don't need to try and figure out whether or not to be good or bad. I've surpassed that point. Okay, so pause for a second. Does any of this sound really strange and foreign to y'all? Um, and to some degree it is. But to some degree it's also less foreign than it originally strikes you guys at. So think, for example, of, say, hippies and the free love movement. Right? Since love was the principle that surpassed everything else, you don't need to worry about morality as this set of rules. So, for example, you can sleep with whoever you want because it's all love. And so it's not a moral issue as to who you sleep with. Or, for example, even today there's a not uncommon thread, especially within uh, New Age beliefs, um, some New Age beliefs rather, that because of one's uh, communion and oneness with God, you've moved beyond having to think about right or wrong. You kind of, because of your being, you've surpassed that. Uh, And so this may well be a point of view that few, if any of you, hold. That's fine. But it's also not like it's extinct and just ancient either. It's not just way back when. There's some of it going around still in some various forms. 
And so what Jude is telling this church he's writing to is that these people who hold these views and these practices, they've slipped into your group. He uses that language of of sneaking in. And that's a problem because they're toxic, according to Jude. Their libertinism, they're, they're just doing whatever they want, can easily infect everybody else. And then all of a sudden, nobody cares about living well or morally or ethically anymore which is a problem. And so Jude is like, you've got to stand strong. You, you've, because otherwise, these people are going to take you down with them. So you've got to stand firm in what you've been taught. Don't go chasing that bright, shiny object. Stay firm. Stay with what you've been taught originally. And here's the second part of the problem with these others. They've been getting too big for their britches. Uh, like in a serious way, because they're purportedly getting these visions and dreams from God, which means they have a direct line to God. So then they start rejecting the authority of the church leadership. And so they're like, why should I listen to you? Look, I've got this direct connection with God. I don't need to hear what you have to say. God's telling me what I need to know. And especially, I don't need you to be telling me how to live, especially because we have very different ideas on that. So I'm not going to, you know, bow to your authority anymore. All right? Thanks. Yeah, we're good. Which, remember, who's the biggest authority around? Jude. So he's not wild about this whole position, right? Which then, this is the other part that really got to Jude, beyond the self-serving part that disdain for authority reached beyond just humans as well. It had to do with these others' whole place in the cosmos. They've evolved past morality after all, you know, so now they're thinking they're higher than the angels. Now, again, for us, this sounds weird and foreign, but at the time, angels and demons were these really important part of the world, of how the world worked, and they're all around us, and they're interacting with us, and bringing messages uh, from God to us, and interacting with the world, and they're clearly this middle step between God and us, and angels are right here in this, kind of this middle step in the hierarchy. And these others not only reject authority of like church leadership, they reject that they fit anywhere within that hierarchy. So they reject the idea that they're lesser than angels. They're forgetting their creatureliness, their, their place in the cosmos. Is they're, as I said, getting too big for their britches in a philosophical level. And so um, uh, to get our heads around this, let's think, for example, of the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel story. What is it showing us? Humanity inherently has limitations. There is something about human beingness that has baked into it finitude and limitation and imperfection and not godness. And what were they trying to do in the Tower of Babel story? They were trying to build a tower to reach the heavens, to become gods themselves, to erase the difference between the gods way up here and the humans way down here. And humanity was trying to become gods, to erase their place in the the cosmic order of things. 
And so God had to come down and scatter confusion among them to make sure that they couldn't do them, to, to remind them, to reinforce for them that they are humans, and being human means that you are not God. You have your place in the universe, and you should accept that fact and not delude yourself to think that you're way higher than you really are. Which, side note, there's a lot of ways in which we do that, right? The, even without us building a tower. But there's so many ways in which we pretend that we're the masters of our own destiny, that we are master of the whole creation and all of life and creations under our control. And then every so often we get these rude awakenings, these reminders that bring us down to earth from our lofty ambitions. So maybe, for example, we try and control the earth and the weather through, say, building these levees, and then a hurricane destroys them and reminds us, oh, wait, maybe it's not actually all under our control. Or, again, maybe we have every step in our life mapped out and we know exactly what we want to do with things, and then we just can't overcome all these things that throw them off the rails. It's, it's just something that humans do. It's, it's, it's uh, part of humanity is to forget our finitude, our limitations, and to pretend that we can reach higher than we can and to always be a little bit amnesic about, about whether and when we learn those lessons, always forgetting them again. And so this is what these others in our passage this morning were doing. They were like, look, I'm not only evolved past the bounds of morality and past the need to listen to human authority figures. I'm so spiritually advanced, I'm above the angels. So sure, as we've been noting this morning, the whole thing's foreign. The whole thing is not our current context. Yes, absolutely. But it's also not quite as foreign as we originally think because uh, those impulses underlying what Jude is talking about, those human impulses are still familiar in modernity. For example, the inability to accept our human limits, our need to dictate our world for ourselves rather than graciously accepting our place within it are overestimating ourselves and our own development and our growth. Our desire to do what we want rather than following structures such as an ethical way of life. All these things we see plenty nowadays. These are all the very things that Jude's talking about, that Jude is trying to get us and his congregation to think about and to make sure that we don't fall into those potentially dangerous traps that infuse our society still. So this week, may you notice where in our world those impulses still arise, where they come up. May you consider what your faith calls you to do in response to them. May it be so.